Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Thursday, March 7th. And uh, honestly, you probably won't get this until Friday, March 8th. Because it is like 8.30 where I live. And I live on the West Coast. If you're on the East Coast, it's already midnight for you guys, probably. Um, It's been a really busy day. I had 6 a.m. football workouts. Uh, We had weights. We had a football meeting. But I have a fantastic, fantastic podcast prepared for you guys today. And uh, man, I'm really excited. A lot of good content. We're going to talk about, we're going to revisit DK Metcalf, a guy who I think is overrated in the NFL draft, but I think I know where he should go. I found a good spot for him. We'll talk about LeBron James. We'll talk about the Kyler Murray, Charlie Casserly, Casserly drama and all the, what came with that. We'll talk about the Alliance of American Football. We're going to talk about Bryce Harper. We'll talk about the Bengals. Just a lot of really good stuff all over the spectrum of the sports world. And I cannot wait to start. I want to start with this though. Um, I, I heard something really, really, in case you missed it, basically, the best thing I heard all day was that the Chicago Bears signed a kicker named Blewett. His last name is Blewett. His name is Chris Blewett. And that's just hilarious. Given the history of the Chicago Bears and how their season ended last year, their, cor- their kicker, Cody Parkey, blew it, and he missed a field goal, hit the uprights. The fact that the, of all the teams, the team that had a controversy because of their kicker, that they would sign a kicker named Blewett, Chris Blewett. That's just, the irony is amazing, it's hilarious, and I thought that was uh, the most, it's, you can't make a whole segment about that, but it's, it's got to be in the podcast, because it's just so funny to me that they signed a kicker named Blewett. How does that happen? Uh, also, if you've been following the drama on the podcast, um, one of the things I've been talking about recently is that I really struggle to record in this room. And I made progress yesterday. I made friends with all the guys in this building and uh, it, it's really good to feel a little bit more comfortable in the place I'm recording. I want to, so let, let's jump in with this. Charlie Casserly is an analyst for NFL Network. And, and long time ago, before he was ever a sports broadcaster, he was a 10-year, had a 10-year career as the Washington Redskins Senior Vice President and General Manager. From the years of 1989 to 1999, he was the Redskins general manager. He also was the general manager of the Houston Texans from 2000 to 2006. He got a job as a sportscaster after that, working for CBS. Now he's a sportscaster for NFL Network. Now, Charlie Casserly said something that made a lot of people very, very angry. He was talking about Kyler Murray, the former Oklahoma quarterback, the guy who won the Heisman Trophy last year and a potential number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Charlie Casserly reported that three or more teams met with Kyler Murray during the interview process of the NFL Combine, and they left having a lot of concerns. They, said they felt like Kyler Murray had leadership issues. They thought he had bad study habits. They didn't like what he put on the chalkboard when they had him draw up offensive schemes on the whiteboard. They said it was really, really bad. And, and the quote that Charlie Casserly gave, he said that what he heard about Kyler Murray was the worst comments he'd ever gotten from a high-rated quarterback. That's bad. That's concerning. That's not good. You don't want to hear that. And understandably, people got very, very upset. People felt like Kyler Murray was getting a personal attack. Understandably, right? That's, that's a very, to call someone a poor leader is very, very personal. Now, uh, I, I really don't think hating Charlie Casserly is the right thing here. A lot of people are very mad at Charlie Casserly. This is not his fault. The guy, I think, was just doing his job. He's reporting what he was told. Teams told him this. It's his job to say, here's what teams told me. Again, he's doing his job. Uh, I actually, I wouldn't bash Charlie Casserly. If you don't like him, that's fine. But he actually said that, Charlie Casserly said this. He said what he saw on film from Kyler Murray was really, really good. So Charlie Casserly's analysis of Kyler Murray is like is saying, this guy's a good quarterback. But he reported that he was told, the things that Charlie Casserly was told were really bad. Like, I, I got to acknowledge this. I, I heard, you know, you heard the interview process was bad. He has to say, I have to acknowledge, hey, this was not good. But who knows what really happened? Nobody really does. It's very possible that teams were lying to Charlie Casserly, trying to get a false narrative out there. Because at this time of the year, around the NFL draft, 
You can't trust anything that anybody says. All the teams are vying to get an edge on each other, manipulating people, releasing false narratives. Who knows if Josh Rosen's actually going to get traded at all? You never know. Nothing you can believe at this time of the year is very valid. You can't trust anything. Charlie Casserly said what he was told, and maybe teams lied about that. Maybe teams are trying to paint a narrative that Kyler Murray is not a good quarterback so that he falls in the NFL draft and they can pick him up later in the draft. It's also possible that Kyler Murray just had a bad interview. Like, it is possible he didn't do well. I think it's interesting. Everybody's comparing Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. And, and I've said before, that's not a great comparison. They're different people with different... They're very different. Despite the fact that their stats are similar, they came from the same college, they both won the Heisman Trophy. When you watch Baker Mayfield, because of his leadership style, he's very brash, he's very bold, he's loud, it's very obvious exactly who Baker Mayfield is. He's like Braveheart. He's out there in the open. It's very clear who he is. Kyler Murray's not as big a personality as Baker Mayfield is. It's harder to read Kyler Murray. He's very quiet. I've watched interview after interview. He did a thing with the, the barstool guy, like a pizza review. He's just deadpan. Like, it's boring. And no offense to Kyler Murray, but your interviews are horrible. You're very, very boring and not enjoyable to listen to. I would far rather get a beer with Baker Mayfield than Kyler Murray. Now, that has nothing to do with anything, but my point is this. It's hard to read who Kyler Murray is. If you haven't met him, if you haven't spent time with him, he comes across as a very bland, uninteresting person. That's not his fault. That's who he is. I'm sure, actually, Tom Brady has a similar way. My point is this. Unless you've been around him, you don't know what he's actually like. Nobody, his teammates and his coaches... Those are the people who know how good of a leader Kyler Murray is. Whether he's good or bad, they've been around him, they've interacted with him. The people that have been around Kyler Murray are the only people that really know who he is. Now, Kyler Murray's head coach, Lincoln Riley, vehemently defended him. He was very, very adamant. He said, Kyler Murray is a tremendous leader. And then he said, watch the tape. If you don't think Kyler Murray understands defenses, Lincoln Riley would tell you, watch the film. The guy can clearly read a defense. And I, again, I want to re repeat this. The people who told Charlie Casserly, these were not Charlie Casserly's thoughts. This is not his opinion. He's regurgitating what people told him. And the people that told Charlie Casserly they had bad interviews could have very easily been lying. Again, that's what happens this time of year. But it's also possible Kyler Murray met with teams that had how do you have quarterbacks? Maybe they met with the Eagles or they met with the Vikings. The Vikings are not going to draft Kyler Murray. Maybe that's who the team, maybe, maybe it's a team that already has a quarterback and Kyler Murray knew going into the interview, there is a 0% chance this team is drafting me. Why should I invest? If you remember last year in 2017 around the NFL draft, there was a report that Baker Mayfield had a horrendous interview with the LA Chargers. He said they didn't take it seriously. He didn't study the playbook. It rubbed them the wrong way. But that's because there was no chance Baker Mayfield is ever going to get to the LA Chargers. He didn't take it seriously because why would he? It would have been a waste of his time. I don't know that that's the right mindset or not. I think you want to impress everybody you interact with. But it's possible Kyler Murray had a bad interview because he didn't take it seriously. It's just possible. Now, I also want to repeat this. that I want to make it clear. Lincoln Riley... Kyler Murray's former college football head coach, that's not really a good source of information. No matter what he actually believes about Kyler Murray, he has to defend his quarterback because he's got recruits to please later. He can't throw Kyler Murray under the bus because it would hurt him in recruiting later down the road. Is Kyler Murray a good leader? I have no idea, and neither do you, neither do I, unless you've met Kyler Murray. Unless you've been on the same team as Kyler Murray, you can't know what kind of leader he really is. You can, you can if, if you've been in an interview room with him, you can say, ha, he doesn't have a lot of presence. He's not a big, strong personality. But you don't necessarily have to be a huge, strong personality to be a quarterback. I don't, I don't think so. Like, right? Not everybody is the man all the time. Maybe Kyler Murray has a really good work ethic. He does all the small things right. He leads by example. He calls people out when they need to. But being loud does not make you a leader. I, I think leadership is influence. It can be good. It can be bad. If Kyler Murray has influence with the people around him, if people follow him, and if Kyler Murray is a positive influence on the people around him, that would make Kyler Murray, therefore, a good leader. So 
I, that, that's my take on leadership. I don't know whether Kyler Murray is a good leader or not. The point is this. Unless you've been around him, you have no idea. But Kyler Murray's accomplishments speak for themselves. Watch his game film. He looks really good. I got a video coming out very soon, a breakdown of Kyler Murray's game film. I like what I see. His accomplishments, Heisman Trophy, that's it. 10 people want a Heisman Trophy. That doesn't mean that Kyler Murray, because of the Heisman Trophy, is necessarily going to be a great NFL quarterback. But he threw for 5,000 yards. He throws the ball really well. He made a lot of good reads. I like what I see from Kyler Murray. And I think if you're not sure whether he understands defenses, watch the tape. How does he process defenses? It's all there for you to watch. I, I don't know. We don't know what happened in that interview, in the multiple interviews. We don't know. We don't know if people are lying. We have no idea. If you're not in the room, and if you haven't been around Kyler Murray, you have no idea. But I, I really would not hate Charlie Casterly. That's the point here is Charlie Casterly was doing his job. He reported what people told him. That is exactly what he's supposed to do. You can be mad. You don't have to like what he said. But I think it's silly to hate Charlie Casserly, a guy who was just doing his job. All right, again, we have a great show. I'm so excited. I, wanna, I don't want to waste your time. You know what's coming up. We're going to talk about LeBron. We're going to talk about DK Metcalf. We'll talk about Bryce Harper. And, and I want to go to LeBron James next because uh, he leaves. LeBron has left a bad taste in my mouth all year. It, it's just I am really uncomfortable with the way LeBron James has carried himself this year. So LeBron James just passed Michael Jordan for on the all-time points list. He has now scored more points in the NBA than Michael Jordan ever did. And it was extremely boring. I, I didn't care. It's a moment in time and history that I went, eh, it's not interesting. It's not compelling at all. And watching LeBron James this season, he's just struck me as very, very selfish. And it's sad to me because I, I love LeBron. LeBron has been my favorite player to watch for the last... 10 years of my life. I love, love, love watching LeBron James. This is the first time in my life watching LeBron James has not been compelling even remotely. Like I know January every year ago, yeah, it's LeBron. That's what he does. But this year in particular is really, really bad. And it feels like LeBron James took a year off. It's, it's not good. The Lakers are out of the playoffs and his effort is awful. I understand the Lakers have no chance of winning a championship this year. But LeBron James' effort has not been intriguing at all. It's as if his, his mindset is, our roster sucks, and it's just me on this team. I'm all alone. I need help. Why would I even try? And, and I get it. Like In some ways, he is the only superstar player on that team. But I really, really believed when LeBron James chose L.A., my impression was LeBron James was going to go to the Lakers and start building something. Lay a foundation and build on it. Change the culture and build something awesome. And that's not what he's done. That's not the LeBron James we've seen this year. Like, if you want to bring in free agents, if LeBron James wants to bring in free agents to the Lakers, he's got to sell it that it's a good idea, that it's something you want to do. And I know the past speaks for itself, but right now, LeBron James' actions are not compelling and not the kind of person I want to go play with. It's bad. It's not good. I don't know, man. It's, it's really, it's, it's very, very concerning to me. I mean, LeBron James literally said, I have nothing to prove. And you do. You always, you always, you always, you always have something to prove. The minute you're not hungry and don't want to keep going, you should just stop, retire, and leave. Walk away. It's like LeBron James is going through the motions. It's, it's very uncomfortable. A buddy of mine, Nathan Hawthorne, he's been on the podcast before. He helped with the DK Metcalf, Metcalf topic earlier in the week. He sent me a list of six things that LeBron James is doing that makes it look like LeBron James isn't giving a maximum effort. These are, seven, these are six things that Nathan Hawthorne sent me in a list that bothered him about LeBron James. The first one is this, his demeanor on the court. LeBron James doesn't look like a winner. He doesn't look like a, a competitor, and he does not carry himself like a champion. And then LeBron James' defensive effort this year has been awful. It's always pretty bad, especially in the last couple of years. But this year in particular, LeBron James does not look like a guy who's fighting to make the playoffs. I know. Look, you got to conserve energy. There's only so much time in a day. I took a nap today. I understand. You only have so much energy 
But the way LeBron James is playing defense is especially awful this year. I think there was a, an example of a guy like boxing him out for a rebound on his own team. Like his own 23-year-old teammate was boxing him out and trying to get a rebound because LeBron James is in the way, not giving effort. And then if you watch LeBron James' interviews this year, he's just shallow and fake and, and very insincere. It's not a good look. It doesn't seem like the LeBron James I know and have fallen in love with and enjoy watching play basketball. And then to make it even worse, he's talking about stuff he's filming. He's talking about Space Jam 2 and stuff he's producing. Dude, your team isn't in the playoffs. That should be your focus. It's a bad look. I know you're LeBron James, but it's a really, really bad look to be talking about other stuff. If my team, look, look I'm, I'm playing college football. If I was suddenly talking about all this other stuff I'm going to do and not paying any attention during the season, that's a really, really bad look. And it's a bad example for your teammates. It's awful. Not to mention LeBron James tried to trade away like his entire team to get Anthony Davis. And then when he didn't get his way, it felt like he's just been pouting this whole year. It's awful. And don't get me started. The last thing I want to talk about is the wine glass in pregame. I understand. You're LeBron James. You can get away with whatever you want. But the wine glass in pregame warm-ups, like walking into the building with a wine glass, it's just not a good look. You can do that if you're on top. If you're the number one guy, you're the best team in the NBA, do whatever in the world you want. But it is a bad look for a guy on a bad team not making the playoffs to be so casually nonchalant, not carrying himself in a professional way. I understand he's LeBron James. I know LeBron James has earned the right to get away with basically whatever he wants. But it's still very disappointing to me. It's, I watch LeBron and I go, oh man, that is so, so disappointing. I mean, I, I just, I thought LeBron James was better than that. I thought he was a better leader and a better champion and a better competitor than what we're seeing this year from LeBron James on the Lakers. His actions, actions speak far louder than words. I, I think the best way to be a leader is to lead by example. Sometimes you got to call guys out, but again, sometimes you don't feel like the man. I, I have days where I feel fat, I feel ugly, I feel gross, but I can always do the right thing and set a standard with my actions. And LeBron James' actions are not setting a good example for the Lakers this year. He's not building a good culture. He's not making it clear to free agents that it's a place you want to be. I am very, very disappointed in LeBron James' actions. Again, he's LeBron. And if you want to criticize this take, you can say, well, LeBron James can get away with anything. He's the greatest. And when you're the best, you can do whatever you want. And you can. You can do whatever you want. He's free to do it. But it doesn't mean he's not losing my respect every single time his actions are not a good example of building a good culture with the L.A. Lakers. I am very disappointed in LeBron James this season. It's not the player I fell in love with, and it's really not enjoyable to watch. Okay, I have a reminder, guys. I want your help. My dream is to do Strong Opinion Sports full-time as my job. This is my favorite thing in the entire world, and if you believe in me, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook. Share a link on Twitter. Tell your friends. Screenshot it. Share it on Instagram. I do not want to work for a big network. I've, I've worked for big networks before. I really like Fox. I don't want to work for ESPN. I don't want to work for CBS. I want to own it myself. I want to do this by myself on the internet. I love it this way where I can talk directly to you. There's no barriers. There's no paywall. There's nothing. I don't have a marketing strategy. My plan to build this show. I'm a college student. I have trouble buying books. I have like 100 bucks in my bank account. My plan to build Strong Opinion Sports is to put all my effort into making this the very best show I possibly can. If you agree with that, if you like that, and if you believe in this podcast, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Twitter. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. That is my plan. And if you like it, please help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Baseball superstar Bryce Harper just signed a massive, massive contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. 13-year contract worth $330 million. He's 26 years old. That contract will not expire until he is 29, until he's, excuse me, 39 years old. 13 years. Bryce Harper just invested in the Philadelphia Phillies. He wants to spend the rest of his career in Philadelphia. And not only that, Bryce Harper wants to win games, which I love. I love when superstar players want to win games. 
And one way he's been doing that is Bryce Harper has been recently recruiting another baseball superstar, Bright, uh, Mike's, Mike Trout. Bryce Harper has been recruiting Mike Trout to Philadelphia. Mike Trout is a two-time MVP, a seven-time All-Star. He's only 27 years old, which is in- incredible to have that resume and be that young. Mike Trout is from around Philadelphia. He's a big Philadelphia sports fan. He loves the Eagles. He goes to games. He loves the 76ers. And Mike Trout's contract ends right after the 2020 MLB season, which means in 2021, Mike Trout will be free to sign with whatever team he wants. He could go to the Philadelphia Phillies. And as a baseball fan, as a fan of sports, as a guy who loves drama, I very much love that Bryce Harper is actively recruiting Mike Trout. That is what I want. I want superstar athletes who are hungry and want to win games. They want to be on a good team. They want to be competitive. I, the thing I hate the most is guys like John Wall who check out, don't seem to give a lot of effort, and don't seem to care about winning. I love that Bryce Harper's doing this. Now, here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is that Mike Trout plays for the LA Angels. And it's been reported that the Angels are not happy with the fact that Bryce Harper is actively recruiting their star player. And look, who can blame them? I understand how the Angels feel. If someone was actively trying to convince my girlfriend to break up with me and date them instead, that would bother me. I'd be very annoyed. But how should the Angels handle this? How, like, what do the Angels do in this situation? A guy's trying to steal your girlfriend. How do you handle that? And I really think the Angels trying to silence Bryce Harper, the Angels trying to stop that guy from stealing your girlfriend by going to the boyfriend, that's the wrong person to give attention to. Angels general manager Billy Epler said that the Angels have been in touch with Major League Baseball, the the league. They've been talking about Bryce Harper. They have complained about possible tampering. The Angels do not like this, but if that's their approach, they're going about it the wrong way. The Angels should not focus their attention on Bryce Harper. If you want to keep Mike Trout in L.A., you got to focus your attention on, guess who? Mike Trout. Make sure Mike Trout is happy. Make sure all of his needs are met. If a guy's trying to steal your girlfriend, then make sure your girlfriend feels loved. Keep her happy. Treat her well. Treat her so well, she would never, ever consider leaving you. Don't worry about that guy. Worry about your girlfriend. Worry about you. Your relationship, make it the best you possibly can. If the Angels want to keep Mike Trout in L.A., they need to keep Mike Trout happy. If he wants to win, communicate your plan. Tell him, here's what we're going to do. Here's our plan to build a roster to give you players you need so we can win games. And if, if Mike Trout only wants money, that's an easy one. Just give Mike Trout the money he wants. And in the end, you got to acknowledge, it's possible none of that's enough. If Mike Trout wants to leave L.A., he will. He can. You can't control Mike Trout, but you can do everything you can with your actions to make him want to be with you. The angels can do every single thing you can. What you don't want to do is waste your time on Twitter attacking the guy who's trying to steal your girlfriend. Don't worry about that guy. The angels shouldn't worry about Bryce Harper. If you're going to focus your attention on somebody, focus your attention on Mike Trout. Make your relationship with Mike Trout the best you possibly can. Use your time, use your actions, and invest in Mike Trout. Give him what he needs. Money, players, communicate with him. Be very clear. We want you. We want you to be here. Here's why. We'll work with you. But if the Angels want to keep Mike Trout in L.A., they need to focus their attention on the one guy who matters most, Mike Trout. Let's now shift to the NFL. It's been fun. I rarely talk about... I I mostly focus on football in this podcast because it's my favorite thing in the world. I try to talk about things that grab my attention. I actually have a a topic next week about skateboarding, which I know nobody on this show cares about skateboarding. I'll bury it at the end of the show. Uh, But now let's go to my favorite topic, which is indeed football. DK Metcalf is a wide receiver who's about to be drafted in the 2019 NFL draft. He played for Ole Miss, had a solid year, played, had like, Played 21 games. I, I just made a video about him, actually. And I said that DK Metcalf was overhyped. And I stand by that. DK Metcalf looks fantastic. He's six foot three, runs a 4-3-3 40-yard dash, which is really, really fast. He's jacked. There's a viral photo of him. He looks like a bodybuilder. He's literally 1.9% body fat. 
But forget what you see when you look at DK Metcalf physically. When you watch his tape, when you watch the way DK Metcalf played at Ole Miss, you see a guy who's not prepared for the NFL. He's not ready. He's got all the physical tools you want, but he hasn't developed them. In the words of my buddy Nathan Hawthorne, he hasn't developed the gifts that he has. And because DK Metcalf is so physically gifted, he got away with really bad habits in college. He ran average routes. He wasn't great at catching the ball in traffic, but it didn't matter because he was bigger, taller, faster, and he got the ball thrown to him deep. He ran vertical routes, caught the ball over the top. That was his forte. That was his best thing he did. His strength was running in a straight line down the field and catching jump balls, catching fade routes. I want to be very clear. I would not draft DK Metcalf in the first round. I wouldn't. He's not Julio Jones. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. He's a project. He's a guy, if you draft DK Metcalf, you draft him in the late second round, maybe the third round, and you hope you can develop the great physical skills that he has. And when I look around the NFL, the one team I see that is a fantastic, fantastic match for DK Metcalf is the Pittsburgh Steelers. If I'm DK Metcalf, I, ha- I am hoping, I am praying that the Pittsburgh Steelers are the team that drafts me. It's, it's very, if you watch the Steelers over the years, the way that they develop young wide receivers is basically unbelievable. It's, in, it's incredible. There's a long list of guys. Juju Smith-Schuster, Big, uh, Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant, Marcus Wheaton, Antonio Holmes. Those are a few. The, guy, the list goes on and on and on. The Steelers not only do a great job drafting wide receivers and developing wide receivers, they make wide receivers play the best they ever will in the Steelers uniform. Like Martavis Bryant left the Steelers and kind of fell off a cliff. Marcus Wheaton. I, eh. Receivers play the very best in the Steelers uniform because of the coaching staff and because of their quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer, but the coaching staff is what I want to focus on. The way the Steelers develop their wide receivers, they get the most out of them. And that is why DK Metcalf should be praying to go to the Steelers. He would get the help he needs. He'd get the coaching he needs. He'd be pushed. He'd be made better. And let's be honest, the Steelers could use DK Metcalf. They just, they're losing Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown demanded a trade. The Steelers agreed to trade Antonio Brown. The Steelers have a need right now for a vertical threat. DK Metcalf fills that need perfectly. If you pair DK Metcalf with Juju Smith-Schuster, a guy running deep, another guy coming underneath, running a crossing route, that's a great, great match made in heaven. Man, the Steelers are far and away the best fit for DK Metcalf because they would develop his skills and get the most out of him. And if I am DK Metcalf, I am hoping and praying the team that picks me up is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Drink some water. Uh, man, I, I, am on, I feel good, man. I really, uh, making friends in this building made me feel a lot better about recording here. It's quiet. It's, not, it's just nice. I'm really uh, feeling good. I had a great day today. I'm happy to be where I'm at. I love my college. It's the first time in my entire life I've been at a school that I love, that I, I'm very proud to be at. I'm working hard in my classes. I'm enjoying my classes. I had a talk with a professor after class today for 30 minutes. Me, a guy who hates school. It's, it's so cool to me, and I'm very fulfilled where I'm at, and that makes a huge difference. And I just want to say, like, if you're not fulfilled in where you're at, please change your life. Do more. This has nothing to do with sports right now. This is just me talking. I, I, I've changed my, my plan so many times. I'm like, oh, that's a better idea. Oh, that's a better idea. And, and I don't know. I think maybe um, I'm going to put up the suicide hotline if you're watching on YouTube. I don't know it by hand, um, by heart. But I just want to say, if you're ever struggling, please get help. Uh, the thing that changed my life the most and that made me really begin to pursue my passions was when my brother died. My brother passed away, took his life. And it was awful. It sucked. And my brother never, ever told anybody he was struggling. He never talked about it. He just, one day, I walked into his bedroom he was dead on the floor, and it was terrible. So please, I'm, if you're listening to me, don't ever do that. Please go get help. If you're struggling, go talk to somebody, preferably a professional. Right? Go to your friend, but your friend's not good enough. You need to talk to someone, a counselor, and get help. At my college where I go to school, uh, counselors will work with you for free. So I, I went today. I went to the counseling office. For the first time in three years since my brother died, I scheduled a meeting to go to counseling, which is huge. It's a big step for me. 
And I just want to re- reiterate, please, if you're struggling, go get help. We want you here. We love you. People love you. And I, I don't want anybody to do what my brother did. Do not take your own life. Don't let it get there. Go get help. Go talk to somebody. I, I just would really be sad. If you're listening, if, I, I think I've decided every episode I'm going to say this similar message. If you're listening and you're struggling, please go get help. Talk to somebody. Do not keep your struggles a secret like my brother did. If you're struggling, go get help, and please do not take your own life. It's awful. It sucks. It, it almost ruined my life, and uh, I thank God I made a decision to try to make something good out of it, but man, I, I really, really, it ruined my family. Like it, my, my whole family felt my parents got divorced, and it ruined my family, and so please, I'm asking you, um, do not commit suicide. Do not take your own life. If you're struggling, get help. Uh, that's my, my, my good, hopefully kind little message for the day is, is please, if you're struggling, go get help. Let's talk about more football. I know it's weird to like bounce around from really heavy to back to football, but there was a report this week that the Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, wants to get more out of their wide receiver, John Ross. If you don't know, the Bengals wide receiver, John Ross, is a freak of nature. He's fantastic. He ran a record, a, a NFL record, a 4 2 2 40-yard dash, the fastest ever. And Callahan says he doesn't just, when he watches tape, the, the Bengals offensive coordinator says, when he watches the film, he doesn't just like John Ross's ability to run in a straight line. He also really, really likes his ability to be shifty and move around. He's not just good in a straight line. He's really quick. He's explosive. He's got great agility. Hearing this really, really excites me. As a football fan, I go, yes, yes. Yes, because the Bengals have been so disappointing in recent years, especially John Ross. When John Ross was drafted, I was so excited. John Ross has been completely underwhelming, and it's been very sad. It's been disappointing to me. Because at the University of Washington in college, John Ross was fantastic. Then he was the ninth overall pick. The Bengals picked him with the ninth overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft. I was like, yes, the Bengals got a great offensive weapon. But in the NFL, he's, he's not panned out. In the two years John Ross has been in the NFL, he's only got 21 catches, 210 yards, and seven touchdowns. I know he got hurt, but that's still like, really? That's all you got? And when I watch him on film, they don't use him very well. I mean, on, when you look at the Bengals on paper, they have A.J. Green, a fantastic stud-wide receiver. If they re-sign Tyler Eifert, they have a really solid tight end, a guy who's been hurt. But Tyler Eifert, if he does come back to the Bengals, he can play. Two great running backs, Giovanni Bernard, Joe Mixon, a solid veteran quarterback, Andy Dalton. Whether you like him or not, Andy Dalton's been to the Pro Bowl three years in a row. But even with all that talent, in recent years, the Bengals have been extremely, extremely disappointing. But then guess what? The Bengals got hope. The Bengals took a risk. They fired a mediocre, solid, solid, a guy who consistently does okay, head coach Marvin Lewis. They fired him, got rid of him. And they brought in a young, upstart, first-time head coach, Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor is the Rams' former, uh, former quarterback coach. He has worked with Sean McVay a lot. And Zach Taylor has really good, innovative ideas. That's the th- hope and the thought. So I'm excited to watch. If the Bengals can use guys like John Ross, who's clearly, clearly a very, very gifted athlete— his ability, his agility, his quickness, his ability to catch the ball. If you watched him in college, you know the guy can play football. He's a great, great athlete. And I am very hopeful that Zach Taylor can deliver the promise of bringing new schemes, bringing creative looks, creative ideas to the playbook, and help the Bengals reach their potential because the Bengals on paper, A.J. Green, Giovanni Bernard, Joe Mixon, a solid veteran quarterback, John Ross, a guy who's a physical freak, if they can get the most out of their roster, the Bengals' ceiling is really, really high. So as a football fan, I, I don't have a team. I don't care. I just want to watch good, interesting football. I want the Bengals to be interesting. I want them to be good. Their division with the Steelers, the Ravens, and Lamar Jackson. The Browns have Baker Mayfield. They're up, up and coming. I want the Bengals to get in the mix. I want them to step in the ring and fight. And that's what Zach Taylor might do for the Bengals. And that is why. In 2019, the Bengals are one of the most intriguing teams you can watch in the NFL. I'm, I'm just getting more and more excited. The more I think about it, I go, I really want this to be a good story and to be interesting. And I think there's a good chance 
2019, the Bengals could be a very, very, in- I mean, they're, they're interesting either way, but they could actually deliver on their promise and they could be more than hype. Maybe the Bengals actually do something this year and are interesting. That is what I want to see from the Bengals. And I want to be one, one more thing before I end this topic. I got to be clear. If the Bengals aren't incredible this year, it's okay. They're going to build something. Maybe it takes two years. Maybe it takes three years for the Bengals to get back. But I just want them to be interesting again because for years I have not cared at all about watching the Bengals and bringing in Zach Taylor, hearing them say we want to use John Ross. That makes me interested in the Bengals for the first time in years. Okay, uh, a bizarre story happened today. The Broncos have traded quarterback Case Keenum to the Washington Redskins. They got a sixth-round pick for it. Actually, I, I want to I change my mind on that. A, a really intriguing, fascinating, good story for football happened. It was when the Broncos traded their quarterback. The Broncos traded their quarterback, Case Keenum, to the Redskins for a sixth-round pick. And this is a really, I think, a good trade. Here's why. If you've ever wrecked your car, you wreck your car, you're heartbroken, you're disappointed, you don't know what to do next, and you go rent a car from Enterprise or whatever you do, you rent a car. Case Keenum is a rental car. Case Keenum is a not a long-term solution, but he is a stopgap. He gets you, he, he gives you a short-term plan until you can figure out the next plan. You crash your car, you don't have a car, you get a rental car, it buys you some time so you can figure out how to buy a car or maybe your friend gives you a car, you never know. But Case Keenum is exactly that. He's a stopgap. He's a, a rental car. He's an average quarterback in 2018. He had 18 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, a 62% completion percentage. And I did actually have almost 4,000 yards. Like, he's not awful. He's an, a very mediocre, like 6 out of 10, 5.5, maybe, maybe 6.5, a middle-of-the-road solid quarterback, but solid. He brings stability to your franchise. But he's certainly not going to win any games with his arm. Here is why the Redskins wanted Case Keenum and why Case Keenum is good for the Redskins. Last season, the Redskins quarterback, Alex Smith, had a gruesome, gruesome injury. He broke his leg. He missed the rest of the year in 2018. And this year in 2019, he's not going to play a single down. He had got an infection in his knee. It's awful. Might end his career. Also, by the way, Alex Smith is 34 years old, and in May he'll be 35. So a common belief has been that the Beng- that the let's say Bengals, the Redskins, the Redskins are going to draft a quarterback in the 2019 NFL draft. That is a common belief. Either they'll draft a quarterback, or the Redskins will trade for Josh Rosen, the Cardinals quarterback. But this is why, again, why I love the Redskins trading for Case Keenum is Case Keenum is insurance. If something doesn't work out, right, if if somehow the Bengals don't, if, if everybody, if every quarterback gets drafted, they don't get the quarterback they want, and somehow they're not able to trade for Josh Rosen, at least the Redskins will have their insurance policy, Case Keenum. He won't be great. He won't be incredible, but he's okay. He's a good short-term plan that gets you from being awful to okay at quarterback. You want to be okay. The worst thing you can do in the NFL is be completely miserable and awful. With Case Keenum, at least the Redskins won't be miserable and awful. Plus, what if you draft a young quarterback and he's not ready? What Case Keenum does is just gives their team flexibility. It's so good for the Redskins. They only gave up a sixth-round pick. It's nice. It works for the Broncos. The Broncos don't have to pay the rest of his contract. They pay like they're both splitting it, so the Redskins are paying half of Case Keenum's contract. The Broncos are also paying half, so the Broncos lost a lot of cap. They they gained cap room by trading him, and the Redskins got a life raft. I mean, if, you're, if your ship sinks, you need something to get you through for a little while until you can figure out the new plan. That is what Case Keenum is. He's a life raft. He's a rental car, whatever you want to say. Case Keenum, if all else fails, the Redskins have Case Keenum, and he can play average at quarterback and save them from being terrible. I really like the fact the Redskins traded for Case Keenum. When I first heard it, I went, that's weird. I don't understand that. And the more I thought about it, the more I went, oh, that makes sense. He can mentor a young quarterback. He can play if he needs. And if somehow all your plans fail and you don't get a quarterback, at least you have Case Keenum, and at least he's not awful. He's not good. He's not really. He's, he's solid. He's like, okay, but he's not as bad as Colt McCoy. Right? Colt McCoy you, you, the worst thing you can have is Mark Sanchez, Colt McCoy, no offense to J- 
Josh Johnson. You don't want Josh Johnson. You don't want an awful quarterback. And Case Keenum is, the, is not awful. He's solid. He's okay. He's good for the Washington Redskins. <clears throat> Can we, have, we have three topics I want to talk about left. They all somehow relate to the Alliance of American Football. And they're all really, really fascinating and really good topics, I believe. Right? I'm biased, but I think I make interesting content. Um, and I want to get into the AF in a minute. And this is this, two of the topics relate to the relationship between the Alliance of American Football and the NFL. One is hard to articulate, so I, I don't know. you got to bear with me. It might be bad. But, look, I, I, I take risks. I'm not afraid to take risks. And uh, that is what the last topic of the day is going to be. It's a risk. And it's a, it's a, a topic that I am not sure of, which actually scares me a lot, but in some ways makes me know I'm doing the right thing because I, I just don't want to be the guy who's not, he's afraid of pulling the trigger. And so I saw something. I analyzed some data. I, I, I'm interpreting it one way. You might not agree, but that's what I think. But first, before we get there, so that'll be the last topic. It'll be interesting. It'll be very uh, maybe divisive. I don't know. But first, there was a report today that the Alliance of American Football League co-founder Bill Polian said the AAF and the NFL have been in talks, have been talking about forming a relationship where the NFL would send quarterbacks and other players down to the AAF. Kind of like, actually, in fact, what it would be is they're considering making the Alliance of American Football the official minor league, developmental league, in partnership with the NFL, where you can send down players. If, if you have a guy, you want him to get more reps, you can send him down to the AAF. You can pay him. He can be. If, like for a great example is the Steelers have a quarterback named Mason Rudolph. If the Steelers want Mason Rudolph to get more reps and to play a little bit, keep him on their payroll, keep his rights, whatever, but they want him to get reps and prepare for someday maybe replacing Ben Roethlisberger, they can send Mason Rudolph down to the AAF and get him playing time. This hasn't happened yet, but this is what Bill Polian said the NFL and the AAF are considering and talking about working out a deal to do that, to make that possible. It's a really, really cool idea. I love this. Making the AAF an official minor league for the NFL makes both leagues demonstrably better. Uh, drastically better, massively better. I don't know the word I'm trying to say, but it makes, it helps both leagues. They both would benefit from this. Here's how it would help the NFL. More players getting reps makes the NFL better. It raises the talent level of the entire NFL. You want that. You want more players getting more reps. It's good for everybody. If linemen are better, it makes the NFL better. If backups are better, it makes the league better. Your scout team gives a better look to the team. That's the thing that no one talks about, no one seems to ever talk about is, your scout team matters. In practice, the guys, your backups, playing against your starters in practice make a very big impact on your team. The more talented your backups are, the more they can push your starters in practice and make you ready for the week. In my high school growing up, we, had, we practiced JV and varsity all together, and the sophomores got the hell beat out of them. They got annihilated. My brother was one of those guys. He was a scout team, literally scout team player of the year because he would take on everybody and he got beat into the ground. But you know what happened when he got beat into the ground? It did two things. One, it made the seniors, the older upperclassmen better. They were getting a good look from a guy giving a lot of effort. But what it also did was it hardened the young guys. Our JV team never lost a game. We kicked everybody's butt because you know what happens when you go against the best all week and then you're not suddenly not playing against starters, not playing against varsity players, or playing against other guys your age, you, you beat the living tar out of them. And that is what could happen in the NFL. Is when you raise the level of ability for all the backups, everybody gets better. You get better looks in practice. You get better backups. You get guys progressing and maybe being able to compete later and con- contribute to an NFL team on the field. Raising the level of talent in the NFL, that's what that would do, is partnering the AF with the NFL. It would also raise the level of talent in the Alliance of American Football. It would bring guys, names we know, names we're familiar with, onto the field in the Alliance. And that's what I want. Names like Mason Rudolph, the Steelers' backup quarterback. Maybe Davis Webb, a guy who had potential and then kind of flamed out, now he's the Jets' backup quarterback. Guys like Kyle Lalletta, who some people believe, and, and maybe they still do, maybe they don't, a lot of people believed Kyle Lalletta was the Giants' savior, the next future of the Giants' franchise. Now it looks like they're going to draft Wayne Haskins. But guys like that, Guys who need reps and need to get better and could help your team in the future, 
That's who I want to see play in the Alliance. I want to see guys who need reps and need to get better. I, I like this new move. I really, really like this. You got to also acknowledge there are two upstart new developmental football leagues in America. Now, one of them is a developmental league. One of them is the Alliance of American Football. They have partnered. They've made it very, very clear they want to work with the NFL. That's one league, the AAF. The other league is Vince McMahon's XFL. And the XFL does not want to work with the NFL. They are being very oppositional to the NFL. It's part of their brand. The XFL is saying, we're not the NFL. We want to do things differently than the NFL. And we want to fix the issues with the NFL make our league better. And people that don't like the NFL, people mad at Roger Goodell, people who don't like the fact they're not hitting, this is very appealing to that group of people that don't like the NFL, that love football, but don't like the direction the NFL is headed. I do not think that is a sustainable way to build your business. Building your business on hate, I don't think can last. Guys that are mad and angry, the NFL isn't what they want. Maybe that, maybe that works. I, I could be wrong. It, maybe it's a better product to those people. But I, I really, here's what I don't understand. You can't beat the NFL. You're not going to take them head on and work. Maybe the XFL can't survive. That's, it's possible. But I want you to think of names. When you think of these names, what images come to your mind? The Dallas Cowboys. I, I see Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, Michael Irving, and a Super Bowl trophy being hoisted into the air. How, how about the Green Bay Packers? Brett Favre. Vince Lombardi, Aaron Rodgers, years of history. The New York Giants, what do you think of? The Philadelphia Eagles, what do you think of that movie with Vince Papali and Mark Wahlberg's playing him? I think of years of history. What do you think of those four franchises? The new leagues, whether it's the AAF or the XFL, they cannot compete with years of history, with years of passion, with years of brand loyalty. You're not going to dethrone the Dallas Cowboys. And look, I want to say something. It might be controversial. I don't know. The XFL has taken a stance. We want hitting. We want to show. We want to be the league that hits, and we're not afraid of being wimps. That's an interesting idea for people that want that. But I think the major problem right now with the NFL is injuries. People are afraid of getting hurt. People, moms growing up saying, I don't want my kid to play football because he's going to get a brain injury. I don't think a league with more hitting is a good idea at all. The NFL just did something. They instituted a, league, a, a new rule. They said, it, in fact, it wasn't a rule change. It was a emphasis. The NFL made an emphasis on quarterback safety. They don't want guys landing with their full body weight on quarterbacks. What happened was the NFL had a record year of offensive statistics. The most passing yards and the most yards ever, the most passing touchdowns ever, the most points ever from NFL offenses and ratings went up for the NFL. Television ratings went up. You're telling me a league that has more hitting, which means more injuries, it means more star players getting hurt and leaving the field. You're telling me that's a good idea? Because I don't think that's a good idea. It's not a good message to send to parents. It's not good for your ratings. Maybe, maybe that's what people want, right? It's all really what it's about is pleasing the television viewer at home. But you know what's not pleasing to the television viewer at home? He might think he wants to see a lot of hits. But what about when everybody's franchise quarterback is injured and not playing? That's bad football you don't want to watch. It's nearly unwatchable to watch backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't know that the XFL is aligning with the right ideas. Screw the NFL. We're going to have hitting. We're going to do things differently. Hate Roger Goodell. Take on the Dallas Cowboys. It's not a sustainable brand. I, I, I could be wrong, and I'm very willing to be wrong. But I don't think the XFL is doing the right things. I think the AAF partnering with the NFL, becoming their official minor league. That is exactly what you should do. Instead of taking, if you can't beat them, join them. And nobody's going to beat the NFL. Again, Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants, Green Bay Packers, Philadelphia Eagles, historic, memorable franchises. You're not going to beat them. And the XFL has said, the, sorry, the AAF, the Alliance of American Football has said, if you can't beat them, we're going to join them. We'll partner with them. We'll make friends. And maybe we can survive too and make some money playing football. I like that. I like that approach. I think that's the right approach. And I, I just, we'll see, right? Time will tell. Vote with your wallet. If you like the XFL, you like what they're doing, go watch them. I have nothing against it. I like football. More football is better for everybody. But I think the AAF, I like the way they're doing things more. I like that they're partnering with the NFL. I think they're being smarter. And I think they're doing the right stuff. You might not like it, 
But even if you don't like, if, if you think you don't like hitting, what happens when 16, half the league quarterbacks get hurt because they're getting knocked out? That's also not good for football. So you might think you like hitting, but what happens when your franchise quarterback gets hit and then loses and not, is knocked out of the game and out for the season? Does that guy like hitting then? If you're an Eagles fan and Carson Wentz is injured now for the year and you now no longer have Nick Foles, see my point? I don't know that the things that the XFL is pursuing, hitting, screw the NFL, those are not sustainable, good ideas, and uh, time will tell. Time will tell. But I think right now the AAF is pursuing the right ideas. Okay, uh, the Alliance of American Football Week 5 is here. I want to tell you my predictions for the Alliance of American Football Week 5. And I want to tell you, actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to scrap this. I'm going to do that at the end. I think that my, my belief is that you guys care less about the Alliance of American Football. I'll bury it at the end. If you want to hear that, my predictions, where to watch, you can listen to the very last topic. Uh, but right now, th this final topic is a really hard one. This is a very difficult topic for me to discuss. And I, I'm very, a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure it's correct, but I'm going to take a risk. I'm gonna, I don't want to be the guy who's afraid of shooting his shot. I'm, I don't want to be afraid of taking risks. Um, and I observed something, and maybe you agree, maybe you won't agree. And if you don't agree with me, I, I'm very open to discussion. Please leave a comment on YouTube if you don't like what I have to say. Um, but just know, the reason why I'm doing this is I, I really strongly believe in taking risks and taking chances. I've done it many times in my life. And that this topic feels like a risk. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to put it out there. So in 2018, the NFL made a change. They made it a point of emphasis to protect quarterbacks. They said, you cannot land with your full body weight on a quarterback. We're going to throw a flag if you do that. And early in the year, there were a lot of roughing the passer calls. I'll never forget the Packers and the Vikings. I think it was, I think, I, I want to say Clay Matthews was furious and angry. And a lot of people were mad. A lot of people were very upset with the NFL's new point of emphasis on quarterback safety. But by the end of the season, defenders finally figured it out. They got more gentle. They were more careful with the way they let quarterbacks down to the ground. They didn't hit him as much. If a guy had already released a ball, they wouldn't drive him into the ground and hit him. And as a result, I think as a result, my belief is that as a result of these quarterback safety rules, it caused, because here's what happened. Offensive numbers went up. There were more points than ever scored. There were more yards than ever gained. And there were more passing touchdowns than ever in an NFL season, collectively in the NFL. And I think that's a direct result of these points of emphasis. This was a direct result, in my opinion, of quarterback safety. Also, at the same time, quarterback safety was an emphasis. Offensive statistics were higher than ever. And ratings, television ratings went up in the NFL. From 2017 to 2018, there was a jump. People were more interested this year than last year in the NFL. And star quarterbacks stayed on the field for the most part. Uh, now, I, I think if you want interesting football, you want star quarterbacks to stay healthy and to stay on the field. I counted seven quarterbacks in 2018 in the NFL who got hit and therefore got hurt and therefore missed time in games. Seven. I might be wrong. I, I, for some reason, I think there's an eighth. I can't remember who it is. I think there's an eighth quarterback that got hurt. I can't remember. But th these are the seven quarterbacks I can remember getting hurt and because they were hit and missing time in an NFL game. The first two are the Bengals. Quarter the first one's the Bengals quarterback, Andy Dalton. He hurt his thumb. He missed the final five games of the year. He got hit. He got hurt. Therefore, he missed time. Two quarterbacks got hurt. The Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, got hurt and missed a game or two. The Bears quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, missed a half, made it, missed a game and a half. He missed, like a, I think, a Thursday night football game, and he missed a part of another game. Redskins quarterback, Alex Smith, broke his leg. He was out for the year. It was awful. Another Redskins quarterback, Colt McCoy, got hurt. He was out for the rest of the year. Carson Wentz hurt his back. He got out for the rest of the year. And Cam Newton missed the final two games of the year with a shoulder injury. He sustained playing. Seven quarterbacks. Again, I think I might be missing one, but what I count is seven quarterbacks that got hurt because they were hit and therefore missed time in a game. Those three factors you need. He's got to get hit in a game. It's got to injure him enough to miss a game. There were also there were three other notable injuries in the NFL I want to talk about. Aaron Rodgers got hurt. 
He hurt his game week one, but he played all 16 games. I'm not counting that as part of the seven. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. He was out for the rest of the year, but it was a non-contact injury. I watched the injury happen live. He tore his ACL. No one touched him. He was running out of bounds. He fell to the ground. No one touched him. He hurt his ACL by himself without any contact. And Ryan Tannehill also had a non-contact injury to his shoulder. He missed a couple games because of a, a problem with his shoulder, like ligaments. I think ligaments, I don't know. But that was a non-contact injury as well. So again, seven quarterbacks got hit in a game, making them injured, and therefore missed time in the NFL season. Whether they missed the rest of the season, whether they missed a couple games, seven quarterbacks got hurt so badly they missed time in the 2018 NFL season. I think it's actually pretty good. I'm right for a 17-week season and to have 32 teams to have only seven of those guys get hurt in a 32-team league, 17 weeks, that's pretty impressive. That's actually not bad. Now, through four weeks of Alliance of American Football, through the first four weeks of the AAF, a smaller league with four times fewer teams, right? The AAF has eight teams. The NFL has 32. In just four weeks, the AAF has already had three quarterbacks get injured in a game and miss time. Salt Lake quarterback Josh Woodrum was out for a game or two. Arizona quarterback John Wolfrey got hurt. They lost because of that. So Salt Lake City lost games because their quarterback got hurt. Arizona lost a game because their quarterback got hurt. And now the San Diego Fleet quarterback, Philip Nelson, is going to be out for the next four to six weeks with a fractured clavicle. And what's sad is it's right at the time the San Diego Fleet were beginning to show promise and really beginning to make some progress and look like a really good football team. So that, that's, I count three. In four weeks, I count three quarterbacks who got hurt in a game and missed time. And that's in a league with fewer teams in a smaller amount of time. Almost half as many quarterbacks in the AAF have gotten hurt in a game and missed time than in all 17 weeks of a bigger league in the NFL last year. 24 fewer teams, four weeks versus 17 weeks. A smaller sample size and a far higher rate of injury in the Alliance of American Football. The Alliance of American Football does not have the same rules protecting quarterbacks that the NFL has. I'm not here to bash the Alliance. I love that league. It's a great league. I enjoy their football games. But you got to credit the NFL. It was very unpopular. People were really mad. When they made those rules, when they, when they made it a point of emphasis, when the NFL said, we're going to protect quarterbacks, we're going to throw flags, if you hit them late, if you hit them after they throw, if you land on your body weight on a quarterback, we're going to throw a flag. It made people angry. It was unpopular. But I think what's more unpopular is when your quarterback, when your franchise quarterback gets injured and is out for the rest of the year, that's even more unpopular, right? I, I would rather them throw the flag and protect my quarterback than have my franchise quarterback. If I'm, if I'm a Bengals fan, if I'm a Patriots fan, whatever team you're a fan of, you don't want your quarterback to be injured and out for the rest of the year. That is what the NFL did. They said, we want to protect your guy. We want you to have a higher chance of winning games because we're trying to protect your franchise quarterback. The AAF doesn't have those rules. And again, three injuries in four weeks, that's a higher rate of injury with a smaller amount of teams in far fewer weeks. Three is not as big a number as seven, but three in four weeks? How, what if the AAF had 32 teams? By my math, if the AF had four times as many teams, they'd probably have around 12 quarterback injuries in four weeks. That's not a sound logic and reasoning, but my point is I just really don't think the NFL did the wrong thing. In fact, I believe the NFL did the right thing when they said we are going to protect quarterbacks and try to keep them healthy. I think AF is an example of that. I think the fact that the NFL had higher stats offensively than ever, the ratings went up, it all points to, hey, when you were mad, when you were furious that the NFL wasn't letting quarterbacks get hit, you were probably wrong. Because the only thing worse than not having quarterbacks get hit is having your team's franchise quarterback out for the year and have your season be hopeless. I think the NFL did the right thing by trying to protect quarterbacks. Okay, last topic of the day. Week five of the Alliance of American Football is here. And I want to share my predictions and tell you where you can watch every single game. The first thing you should know, though, is every single game 
streams live on the Alliance app. Go to the App Store, download the Alliance of American Football app. You can watch games. And even cooler, if you have headphones on, I learned this last week, if you have headphones on, you can actually hear the game, like the literally the camera feeds, from the, the audio from camera feeds. You can hear game what's happening at the game. You can't hear announcers. You can't hear the TV copy of like the guys in the booth saying, well, that's a touchdown, this is that. But what you can hear is hitting. You can hear the crowd. You can hear the music in the stadium. If you watch football on the Alliance app and you have headphones in, you can hear the game as if you're watching the game live in person at the stadium. The first game I want to talk about in the Alliance of American Football Week 5 is Saturday at 11 a.m., uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. The Orlando Apollos go to Birmingham, Alabama to play the Birmingham Iron. This is the best game probably of the entire season in the Alliance of American Football. Best game of the week by far. The most interesting game I've seen all year is the two best teams in the league going head-to-head in Birmingham, Alabama. It's an amazing game. Can't wait to watch. I- I'm going to record it. I won't be, I'll be actually at a track meet for, it's a football event, community service we have to do because I play college football. But I'm going to record this game at home. I cannot wait to watch it. Two really great quarterbacks, the Orlando Apollos quarterback, Garrett Gilbert playing the other, I think the two best quarterbacks in the entire league, Garrett Gilbert playing the Birmingham Irons quarterback, uh, Luis Perez. Now, I'm going to pick the Orlando Apollos to win this game. They're a better team with more dynamic athletes, far more talented roster, but do not discount the, or, uh, the Birmingham Irons' ability to either to both run the football and play really good defense. I'm intrigued. I can't wait to watch. It's a very fascinating matchup, and I think this is the game of the year in the Alliance of American Football. This game will be on what – this is on TNT. You want to watch this game? It's on TNT Saturday 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. If nothing else, record it because it's going to be a fun, interesting game. If you love football, watch. This is the best game of the year in the Alliance of American Football. The number two team, uh, game I want to talk about this week is the Salt Lake Stallions going to San Diego to play the San Diego Fleet. It's a Saturday, 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Another interesting game. Uh, the San Diego Fleet seemed to be hitting their stride when their quarterback, Philip Nelson, got hurt, he's out for the next four to six weeks. And so the intriguing narrative here to me, to this week to me, is Mike Bercovici. Mike Bercovici was a starter week one for the San Diego Fleet. He was awful. He got benched. They put in Philip Nelson. He played well. They, they kick-started their season. Well, guess who's back? Because of the injury to Philip Nelson, Mike Bercovici is back. He has the job he lost. And it's going to be really fun to see how he plays. Last week, the fleet lost to the Memphis Express. Not a good team. Their quarterback got hurt. They lost the game because of it, in my opinion. So I'm going to pick Salt Lake to win this game. I like their quarterback, Josh Woodrum. I think the Salt Lake Stallions are a better team. They have a better offensive line. They run the ball really, really well. They play solid defense. And I know the record for the Salt Lake Stallions is 1-3. But they're a lot better than their record shows. Their quarterback got hurt early in the year, missed a couple games. The Salt Lake Stallions are right around the fourth or fifth best team in this league. And I think they're going to beat the San Diego Fleet on Saturday, 8 p.m. Pacific time, or 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific time. This game is on NFL Network. Go watch it if you're interested. Third game of the week I want to talk about is Sunday, 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time on CBS Sports Network. You can watch the Toilet Bowl, the worst game probably of the week, maybe the worst game all season, the Memphis Express at the the Atlanta Legends. Uh, The only reason to watch this game, if you're interested, is the quarterbacks. Um, Last week, the Memphis Express benched their quarterback, Christian Hackenberg. He was awful. And they put in LSU, former LSU quarterback, Zach Mettenberger. He was okay, good enough to win, but not, not really that great. But they won. They beat the San Diego Fleet because the San Diego Fleet got their quarterback injured. I'm going to pick the Memphis Express to win this game. They're a far better team. They play really good defense. Their offense is horrendous. They have bad coaching. But the Atlanta Legends are the worst team in the Alliance of American Football. This is a toilet bowl. But if you want another interesting storyline in this football game, not only did the Memphis Express make a change at quarterback, they're playing Christian. They're playing Zach Mettenberger instead of Christian Hackenberg. Starting for the Atlanta Legends on Sunday is former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray. And people in Georgia love Aaron Murray. He played for Georgia. He played four years. He was a stud. He like has a bunch of the records, I think. And people in the stands have been chanting, we want Aaron Murray. Literally, Aaron Murray... Aaron Murray. 
People in Atlanta want to watch Aaron Murray play football. And the quarterbacks are the best, most interesting narrative between the Memphis Express and the Atlanta Legends. I can't believe I spent that much time talking about that game. I don't care. It's a bad game, but the quarterbacks make it somewhat interesting. The last game of the week, the, uh, the fourth game of the week in the Alliance of American Football I want to talk about <clears throat> is the San Antonio Commanders at the Arizona Hot Shots. This game is at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It is on NFL Network. I have no idea what to expect from this game. The Commanders and the Hot Shots have been the most inconsistent teams this year. They've been up and down. They look really great sometimes. Like last week, the, the Commanders beat the Birmingham Iron. It was really good. I'm going to pick them to win this game. I'm going to Birmingham Iron. are going to beat the Arizona Hot Shots. Or excuse me, the San Antonio Commanders are going to beat the Arizona Hot Shots. That's my prediction. They're coming off a good win over the Iron last week. I was really impressed with the way the San Antonio Commanders handled a really high-pressure situation a good, against a really good team. They won the game. They pulled it out. But this is a, an interesting matchup. The hot, the, the hot Shots and the Commanders have two solid quarterbacks with really talented rosters. Could be really fun. Uh, it could be wild. Either it's going to be really wild and really fun to watch, or it's going to be a blowout because one of the teams is simply not going to show up. These are two teams that are really inconsistent, but when they bring it, when they play their best football, both teams are really fantastic. And maybe week five has been enough for them to really get in their groove, and maybe they're going to bring their best. And if they bring their best, NFL Network, 5 p.m., 8 p.m. Eastern time, the San Antonio Commanders at the Arizona Hot Shots is going to be a really fun game to watch. I'll run through every game again one more time. Saturday, the Orlando Apollos, I think, are going to beat the Birmingham Iron. Later on Saturday, the Salt Lake Stallions, I believe, are going to beat the San Diego Fleet. The third game of the week, I believe that the Memphis Express are going to beat the Atlanta Legends Sunday morning. And the late game on Sunday, the San Antonio Commanders, I believe, are going to beat the Arizona Hotshots. Is it possible? I just chose every single visiting team this week. I think every single home, that's, good, that's an interesting thing to follow. Every team I picked this week is the visiting team. Is it possible that every single team that hosts a game this week, all the home teams lose? I don't know. It's fun. I, I love the AAF. I'm really interested in it. My fans are somewhat interested in it. They're not in love with it, but they like it. So they watch some of the videos. And so it's going to be a good week, week five of the Alliance of American Football. Guys, that is all I have. Thank you so much for watching and for listening. Whatever you do, I really appreciate it. Um, strong Opinion Sports is my favorite thing in the entire world. So help me grow by telling your friends about the show. You know the jargon. I'll probably put it at the end. But I just want to say thank you so very much for listening, and I really appreciate you. But um, bum bam we are done. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And I, I want to I ask for your help. I want this show to grow. I want more people to watch and more people to listen to this podcast. My dream is to do this show as my full-time job. I want to own it myself. I want to do it on the internet and have complete control. I don't want to do it for CBS or ESPN. I don't want to work for a big network. I want to own it myself. And if you believe in that dream, please do me a huge favor. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. Share it on Facebook. Share a link on Twitter. Maybe you screenshot it. Put it on Instagram. I, I, I don't have a marketing strategy beyond this. This is all I have. You know, a lot of people, one of the most common comments I get on YouTube is, you have great content. We love your stuff. You deserve more viewers. What you should do is you should buy ad spaces on Facebook or Twitter or promote yourself and buy, buy revenue, like buy ads. I have no money. I am a broke college kid. I, I can't buy ad spaces. I, I, don't have, I don't have money to pay for books. And so my plan, this is my marketing plan. This is my strategy. All I plan to do is put every ounce of effort I have into making the very best podcast I can. I believe if I make a great product that people believe in, that people like, then they will share it with their friends. And so if you agree with that, if you believe in the show, if you like what I do, please do me a huge favor. Tell your friends about it. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.